Well, over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be talking about something that I definitely do not think about nearly enough. And because I don't think about it enough, and it's a weakness in my life, I know that that unfortunately gets pushed on to you, um, that, that you don't hear about it enough from my life. And uh, what we're talking about is the return of Jesus Christ. And, and I, I just, I need to apologize, because I... As I'm studying this passage, I'm going, Lord, this is, this is everything. This is, this is what you talked about, and you, 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 it, was, it, was the, it was the good news. It was what the Old Testament prophets talked about. It's what the early church was expecting. Paul talks about this is what differentiates us from the rest of the world. He goes, there's the rest of the world. He goes, and I say this with tears in my eyes, but they're really enemies of the cross because all they think about are things on the earth. They have their minds set on earthly things. They just focus on the day in, day out, what's here and in their face. He goes, but we're different. He goes, because we are citizens of heaven and, and we're eagerly awaiting a savior from there. See, this is what's supposed to differentiate is that, that we are supposed to be eagerly waiting for the return of Christ, but honestly, that crossed your mind this week. And really, when you look back at 2009, were you thinking about the return of Jesus Christ throughout this year? Was 2009 a year where you were hoping for his return, thinking about his return, eagerly awaiting his return? Because this is where I blow it. And I'm, I was trying to figure out, I go, gosh, I, I come from a background and, you know, and I'm not blaming on all that because I, I should just be stuck on the scriptures. And the scriptures are talking about the return of Christ all the time. But I, I come from a, a tradition where we talk about the death of Christ quite a bit. And we thank God for the forgiveness of our sins. But maybe we speak a little bit less about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we speak even less about the return of Jesus Christ. And yet that's what our hope is supposed to be fixed on. And that's what we should be thinking about all of the time. And that would cause us to live differently. It would cause a, a, lot, of the, a lot of the stuff in our life that doesn't need to be there It'd be gone if we think about the return of Christ more often. As you look back at 2009, you know what, let me back up because there, there may be even some of you in this room that don't even know what I'm talking about right now as far as the return of Jesus Christ. Jesus came down on this earth as we you know, we worshiped him for this week in the form of an infant. Here's the God, the creator of this world who comes down in human form. And the Bible says in Mark 10, 45, that he came not to be served, but to serve us and to give his life as a ransom for ours. So he, he came down and he came down to die for you to satisfy the justice of God where, where we had committed a crime and someone needed to pay, Jesus paid for our crimes, that all of us who truly believe that could have eternal life. And then after he died on that cross, paying for your sins and, and making that exchange and that where we took on his righteousness, he rose from the grave and went back to heaven. He rose from the grave first and came down here and then ascended back into heaven. But while he was here, for that 40-day 40, 40 period, he told us when he came back down on the earth after his resurrection, he, he said, look, I'm, I'm coming back again. And even before he died, he promised the disciples, look, I'm going to return. And when I come back, it's not going to be in the flesh, in the, in the form of a, that infant like I did the first time. 
I'm going to come back with all of my angels and in all of my glory. It's going to be an amazing scene. Jesus talked about this over and over again. There's 27 New Testament books. 24 of those books talk about the return of Christ. The other three are only one chapter long, so they couldn't squeeze it all in. But uh, So understand, there's, there's 260 chapters in the New Testament, and there are 300 references to the return of Christ. It was a very, very big deal. It's what differentiated everyone. Jesus, when he talks about it, you can read about it sometime in Matthew 24, Matthew 25, those two chapters, man, he just nails over and over that topic, wants to make sure it's on the forefront of our mind. Let me just read a little excerpt from there. Uh, Matthew 24, verse 36 says, concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood and came and swept them away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give him their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour when he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth." Jesus used very, very graphic language when he talked about his return. I mean, if you read Matthew 24, 25, I'm just sharing a little excerpt from it. I mean, just every verse is about, do you understand what it's going to be like when I return? It's going to be a great and glorious day, and you can lift up your head and be ready for that, you know, and for those who have been waiting, you know, you're, you're waiting for, like, your bride, you know, it's like, like the guy standing on the altar and seeing the bride. It's the beautiful moment, this return of Christ. But he also explains for those who aren't ready, who, for those who are just living their own life. And he uses the, the when, he, when he talks about Noah, he, he doesn't talk about their sin so much as he just says, look, they'll be eating. It's not a sin, right? They'll be drinking. They'll be getting married. They'll just, they'll just be living life. They're not, they're, they're, they're not prepared. They're not ready for it. And he says that it's, it's like a, he's going to come like a thief in the night. He goes, if you knew, if you're ready for that thief, you'd be expecting. He goes, that's the way I want you to live. Be ready for my return. But as you look back at 2009, were you ready? Were you ready for the return of Christ this year? As you think back to this last year, I'm sure you can think of right now times when you sure were glad Jesus didn't return at that moment. Think about the 10 most inopportune times 
that he could have returned at that moment. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? As you play the video back in your mind, what if he returned then? Or right then? Or right then? And then you read his words and you go, that would have been miserable. You guys, I want us to hold each other accountable this year because I'm, I'm messed up on this one. I, I need reminders. I need, uh, you know, when we take the Lord's Supper together in our homes, let's, let's remind each other that we proclaim this until the day of the Lord, until, the, until our Lord returns. Um, when we get together, let's remind each other that the Lord is coming and, and that, that, that we should be focused on that and to remind each other to be ready for that so that we're not like that, that lazy servant that's just out doing his own thing and living for himself, but that we're actually found doing the work of the Lord. Guys, I, I hate going back to the same story that I've been telling for the last couple of years, but I'm not finding a better one. Um, but, but, because I don't know a whole lot of people that, that, that think this way and live this way, and I don't, and I want to. But, but I, I always go back to that story. Remember I told you about uh, Lisa's grandma, you know, uh, you know, Phil's mom, Claire, you know, when we're at the, we're at the play over there in, in Moore Park at that little melodrama playhouse that's probably out of business by now. But, you know, we're sitting there and, and watching the show, and I'm sitting next to great-grandma, and and during halftime, I just go, hey, you know, what do you think of this, this show? And, and she, goes, she goes, oh, I don't want to be here, you know. And I go, I go, why not? She goes, I just don't know if this is where I want to be when Christ returns. She goes, uh, she goes, I'd rather be on my knees praying for you or praying for the church or serving someone. And, you know, but... but but what if he returns and I'm just sitting in a theater watching a show? I thought, wow. She took, she took this literally. She was seriously thinking, okay, what, what, what do I want to be doing when Christ returns? Where's my focus? So she didn't watch movies. She, didn't, she, you know, she just wanted to, to have that mind clear of, I, I want to show him that I'm waiting for him. I'm excited for him to return. And that was so convicting because I hadn't met a lot of people. I don't know that I've met anyone else that, that, that made a statement like that to me. And maybe if we made statements like that to one another and really lived that way and thought it through, it's like, well, I don't know. I don't know if that, you know. And it wasn't in like a judgmental, evil. It was just kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm anxious for his return. I want, him to, you know, I want him to find me serving him and loving on someone and doing something with my life when he returns. It was so sobering. It was so good for me. And, and I, I didn't watch the second half of the play. I was in prayer the whole time, just not even... <laughs> because I'm thinking, maybe she knows something, you know? And it, it's just... I, I was just so focused, you know? And, and we need people like that in our lives that are really living that way, and we need to be that for one another because I don't want to just be doing my own thing uh, when he returns. It's a, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty intense moment, and the Bible talks about it over and over and over again, and so I want to be faithful to it. And as we get into 2010, and I think you know by now, I'm not like this alarmist type of person where I see, you know, some current event and I come and show you guys, go, look, he's going to return because I saw this, you know, happen in Jerusalem. When have I ever done that? Maybe at Y2K a little bit, but okay, but, but other, you know, really, I don't, 
I, I, I don't... I don't think that way, and I think maybe I've made some mistakes in, like that in the past, you know, when I was younger or whatever, but these last few months, this last year, don't you get the sense that things are not going to just return to normal? That are things really just going to recover and be the way they used to be. I don't sense that. And I've never felt that in my life. Maybe for a moment, you know, maybe at 9-11 when, the, you know, everything came down, you're thinking, this could be it. Maybe, it, you know, looking back over Desert Storm, everything thinking, well, that could be it. But there's never been like a period of time where you just feel like the world's on this trajectory and you're going, I don't think we're going back to the way things were. Well, I think we're stamping out the radical Islamic agenda. Really? I don't, I don't think we're going back. Don't you sense that this is a different time we're living in? And, and God's movement towards the end sure seems to be setting up perfectly. And I want to be ready for it. I don't want to be doing my own thing. I don't want to think of the return of Christ as seldomly as I did in 2009. And I need your help on that. And I want to help on that. I want to remind us and I want to focus on it because I want to be one of those who's ready. The Bible makes it so clear. There'll be two people standing there. One's going to be ready one's not. Ten people. Five are ready, five aren't. The days of Noah, everyone's going to be doing their own thing, but Noah was set. Noah was ready. 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says this. This, now, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you. Does anyone know what the first letter was? First Peter, good. Okay. It is 2 Peter, so first Peter's first letter. Just making sure you're alert. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. I love that sentence. In both these letters, all I'm doing, I'm just stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. You see, when I read that, I thought, you know what? I try too hard sometimes. Because the truth is, is those of you who come with a sincere mind, all I need to do is remind you. All I do is read a few verses and you go, wow. That's right, Christ is returning. I could see it in some of your eyes. You're just going, wow, absolutely, that's the scriptures. I I totally forgot about that. Thanks for reminding me. Then there's others. It doesn't matter what I say up here. It's not going to get you to change your lifestyle. You're not going to go, okay, I'm really going to live 2010 for him. It's, it's, it's just not going to happen. It's, just, it's not in your heart. You're like that hardened path or, or you're that seed in the rocky soil or the thorny soil. There's so many other things in your life. It's, just, it's, it's, it's in some ways pointless for you to be here because the word of God isn't, you're not open to it. You don't want it. You have too many other things in your life. And so it's, 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 it's what Jesus did. When he saw a crowd, he would just lay it out and he goes, look, he who has ears, let him hear. Because you got ears to hear what I got to say, then listen to it. But he didn't come up here and, you know, do a bunch of different things and try to talk the people into it. He goes, here's the truth. And, and that's what I want to do today is just, re, just, just stir up your sincere mind. For those of you guys who believe that Jesus Christ really is going to return, let me just remind you, that's what we live for. And it really is going to happen. 
and he is going to come. And those of us who are with him, we win in the end. And it's going to be an awesome day. It's going to be an amazing day. So let me just remind your sincere minds of that. That you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. He says, all I want to do is remind you of what the apostles have been teaching. Like I said, what, what Jesus taught. I want to remind you of what, what the prophets of old spoke. The Old Testament talked about this day. Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 says this, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will not leave them, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. See, right now, there are going to be arrogant people, there are going to be evildoers, and it seems like they're succeeding, they're winning. And he says, look, for those of you guys, hold on, hold on. The, the Lord is coming, and it's going to come that day. And, and, and I love how it says, you know, for those who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. It's just... Beautiful imagery. I mean, it's difficult. It's terrifying at the same time. For those of us who are ready and are waiting, we can't wait for that day. He goes on in, in, in verse 3 of Second uh, Peter 3. He says, Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. So Peter's reminding them, he goes, look, Christ is gonna return. He goes, but you gotta know this. First of all, scoffers are gonna come in the last days. People who mock, people who make fun of it, right? I mean, think about it. In our culture, in our world today, if you talk about the return of Jesus Christ, People just think that's the silliest thing that you could talk about. That is just such a fairy tale. That's such a blind hope. That's one of you, you know, that little crutch that you Christians hold on to. Okay, Jesus is going to come back and his angels, and he's going to judge me, and he's going to divide up the world, and there's going to be this heaven, and there's going to be so much mocking. You know it. But, and, and now that's going to happen. Here's what I want to ask you, though, is has that scoffing, that mocking affected you to the point where you don't even want to talk about the return of Christ because you know how much you'll be scoffed at. The scoffer is going to come. The question is, is it going to affect you? Do you suddenly feel a sense of embarrassment or shame and you refuse to confess the return of Christ? You don't want to talk about it because of the way that people will think and mock you. When's the last time you warned someone about the return of Jesus Christ? Have the scoffers gotten to you? You'd be embarrassed to go up to someone at work, right? And say, look, I love you. And I really believe that my God is going to return one day to judge the world. But because there's people who scoff and mock, it gets us to shut up. 
and suddenly we deny Jesus. And that was part of what Jesus said in Matthew 10. He goes, when I come back, man, who's, who's going to confess me? Who's confessing me and who's denying me? Because you confess me before men, and I'll confess you before my Father. You deny me on that earth before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. I want to be one of those people that says, I know this sounds crazy to you. You may not believe, but I've got to tell you because I care about you. Things aren't just going to continue forever like this. Christ is going to return, and he does come back to judge. There is a judgment. But it says and there's going to be so much scoffing because people will follow their own sinful desires. We've talked about this before. It's not about truth. It's about what they want. Did, did you read that article about uh, the Capitol building in, uh, in Illinois? About that uh, there was some guy running for office or running for some position there and he tore down a sign because he was so offended by it. Um, and it was right by the, the Christmas tree. Um, but here's the sign. It was, uh, it was put up there legally by the Freedom From Religion Foundation. And here's what it said, and here's what got the guy so angry, which, which I can understand, but it's not right to break the law over it, but I could see why it bugged him. It says this. The sign read, <clears throat> right up in the Capitol building, At the time of the winter solstice, let reason prevail. There are no gods, no devils, no angels, no heaven or hell. There is only our natural world. Religion is just a myth and superstition that hardens hearts and enslaves minds. That's the world we live in. Come on. Okay, there's, there's angels, there's demons. There's a God, there's a heaven, there's a hell. Come on, figure it out. It's just the natural world. That's all there is, is just nature. Okay, we, we just showed up from nowhere. It just, it's just this meaningless cycle. Understand that. He goes, if you start believing in something, what does it lead you to? Enslavement. It enslaves your minds. It restricts you. But he says, you know what? They're, they want to follow their own sinful. They don't want restriction. Uh, okay, um, his name Thomas Thomas Huxley remember with uh, Darwin he was kind of Darwin's right hand guy you know after Darwin was getting so much criticism this guy kind of stood up for him Thomas Huxley and carried his work on um, in fact Thomas Huxley is the one who coined the phrase agnostic kind of made up the word and called himself the first agnostic in a sense and uh, his grandson uh, uh, Al Aldous Huxley uh, declared himself to be an atheist and, uh, but, but he wrote some interesting things in this book called Confessions of a Professed Atheist. Listen to this, quote, I had motives for not wanting the world to have meaning. Consequently assumed it had none and was able without any difficulty to find satisfying reasons for this assumption. The philosopher who finds no meaning in the world is not concerned exclusively with a problem in pure metaphysics. He's also concerned to prove that there's no valid reason why he should personally not do just what he wants to do. For myself, as no doubt for most of contemporaries, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation. The liberation we desired was simultaneously a liberation from a certain political and economic system and a liberation from a certain system of morality. 
We objected to the morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. It's very telling. It's very honest. It's just saying, look, why would I want to put myself under these restrictions? Same thing like that sign read. Why would we want to enslave our minds to this? If we just believe in just the natural world, then we're free to do whatever we want to do. And that's the same thing that's saying here. They're following their sinful desires. And here's their argument. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. That's their argument. They go, come on. Look, really? Your Christ is going to return? Everything's going to change? He goes, listen, ever since my grandfather, my great-grandfather, all these generations, the sun rises, the sun sets, it's just all the same. There's not going to be a change. This whole idea of Christ is going to come and, and the heavens going to you know, roll up like a scroll and you know, fire is going to come down from heaven and judge us. He goes, come on. It's been the same way since the beginning. That's their argument is nothing's changed. So why would it change now? But you understand how that argument just doesn't really make sense? That's like saying, okay, really, I'm going to die? I've never died It's just, it's just you're, you're arguing from, like, well, I've never experienced this, so why would you say I'm going to die one day? Never have. Every day I wake up. Every single day I wake up. And you're going to tell me, okay, one day I'm not going to? It's just, it's just it's the same thing. It's, it's this idea, come on, the earth's going to end? It's never ended. <laughs> you, you know, it, it, it only gets to end once. You know, it's this idea of... Of well, well, it's never happened. But that's their argument: is come on. But 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 honestly, in seriousness, I mean, some of us who grew up in church and heard about the return of Christ, we can get the same attitude almost, where we were all you know focused on the return of Christ that week because we heard a sermon, and then it didn't happen, and you kind of almost expected it to, and then again and again, and then we can develop the same attitude and almost live at those as though the end wasn't going to happen. He goes on in verse 5. It says, They deliberately, key word, overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. Like, first of all, he says, okay, they, they forget. There was a time when the earth didn't exist, right? I think everyone would agree with that, even if you say it's 17 trillion years. You admit there was a time when the earth didn't exist, it had to come at some point. So no, things haven't been the same forever. There was a time when this earth didn't even exist. And now you're just going to assume that it's going to be the same way forever? That doesn't make sense. He says, it was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. He goes, well, no, the earth hasn't been the same all the time. If we believe the scriptures, then there was a time of a flood. There, 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 there are changes. There, you know, the earth hasn't always been the same, and God has done that. And he goes, and by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. He says, okay, so God destroyed it by water, and he says, look, the next time, he says he's going to do it by fire. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. 
He goes, something else you've got to remember is God's perspective of time is different from yours. You know how your perspective of time changes the older you get? Remember, you know, when two hours just seemed like forever? Remember when you thought you would never get out of school? It's like, man, are you kidding me? I got another three years of high school, and then, and then college went by a little quicker. Well, some of you guys took like eight or nine years. But, uh, you, you, know, but, but you know, it's just like what, what I mean is the time started passing, right? And then, uh, then you, you know, life goes on. It doesn't seem like every, can you believe 2009 is over? You can't tell me 2009 was not faster than the year 2000 or the year 1990. It gets faster and faster, doesn't it? So even our perspective of time is different from our children's perspective of time or our grandchildren's perspective of time. So imagine an eternal God who says, you know, my perspective of time, a thousand years is like a day. It's kind of like us where we go, man, this, this year felt like it lasted about a month. God goes, man, this last thousand years felt like a day. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just this different, I don't get it, you know, but, but that's what the Bible says. He goes, look, you've got to understand, one day is like a thousand years to him. And I don't understand the, the breadth of this. I don't want to belittle it. I don't get it. We're talking about an eternal mind, and, and I don't understand eternity. I, I understand 42 years of existence and, and how that's even changed so much. I, I have no idea how to get in the mind of an eternal God. And so he says, don't even try. Just know that, that to him a thousand years can be like one day. And just know that his perspective on time is very different from yours. And so while you go, man, I've been waiting 40 years for this. 40 years in the line of eternity is not very long. A couple thousand years waiting for the return of Christ is not a long time in the mind of God. And then here's the, the beautiful part. It's verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Isn't that a beautiful verse? He says, listen, you guys. Are you thinking that God's being slow in keeping his promise? Do you understand why he's doing that? It's because he's being patient, because he loves you. Some of you, aren't you so glad? I mean, it's crazy. You know, God is being patient, and yet people are using that against him. Saying, oh, he's not really going to come. He's going, I'm being patient. I'm, 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 I don't want you to perish. You know, repent, turn, turn. You know what? Aren't you glad he didn't come in 2009? Think about, think about the year whenever that was when you weren't a believer, when you were rebellious against God, when you were, you were just total rebellion against Aren't you so glad he didn't return right then? And so you were glad for his patience then, weren't you? He says, well, understand he was being kind, so don't now go, oh, why is he taking so long? Be grateful that he waited for you, and now he's waiting for others. Romans talks about he waits till that, that full number of Gentiles, that time of Gentiles be fulfilled. It's this picture, uh, Romans 2. I love Romans 2, uh, verses 4 and 5. It says, the kindness of the Lord should lead us to repentance. This, this patience of the Lord, he's patient toward you, not wishing that any of you should perish, 
but that all should reach repentance, that you all get to that point where you actually change and you actually turn and you actually live for him and you don't just live for yourself. He's patiently waiting for that. And imagine the patience. Just imagine, you ever have someone just push all of your buttons? Yeah, okay, I think we all have, right? Where they just know, and it, it, it can even happen driving. Like, like where, what, is everyone against me today? Everyone just, was there some, you know, some on the radio say, hey, if you see this car, cut it off, and everyone does it on the, it's just like, are you kidding me? You know, if one more person, you, and, and whatever it is, you, you know how when everything starts, you know, there's one person, you're just ready to explode. Try to imagine being a creator and having the people you made saying, come on, there's no God, there's no devil. He's really going to return? Look, I can live however I want your commands. Are you kidding me? Those are so archaic. It's just a restriction. You're just trying to enslave me. I'll have none of that. All that exists is the natural world. And you hear this over and over and over again. People that curse God himself. Can you imagine the patience? Just going, not yet. Not yet. There's still more. There's still more. I'm going to be patient because I want this patience to lead more to repentance. I want this kindness to lead them toward repentance. But that, that passage in, in Romans 2 says, you know, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself for the day of judgment. Because God's being so kind, so gracious. Some of you guys know. Let's, let's, let's look back at 2009. Let's look back at our lives. We deserved some serious punishment some of us have done some things in this room that are so, we may never verbalize it to another human being. And God has been so patient and kind to let us be here today. And he's saying, man, I'm hoping that that patience with you will lead you to a turning. Because the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. I love that word, will, will, will. This is going to happen, okay? The day of the Lord will come like a thief. It's going to happen. And I'm, I'm publicly, you can scoff, you can mock, you can laugh at me, you can walk away going, everyone watching this, oh, look at that lunatic, believes Christ in return. Well, you know what? He is. He will. And I'll say that, I'll, I'll say that, I'll say that publicly, and I, and I am ashamed that there have been times when I've backed off, and I haven't talked about it, because you just figure everyone's going to ridicule it. I, I want to change that side of me, because he will come like a thief. And the heavens, they will pass away with a roar. Heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. The earth and its works, all the work that's been done on this earth will be exposed. So you know all those secrets I told you that you, you know, no one's going to find out about, you don't want them to find out about? Everything's going to be exposed one day. 1 Corinthians 4-5 even talks about this, uh, someone whistling? <laughs> that's a cell phone? All right. I'm like, wow, that's, I could swear I hear whistling. I'm up here going, what is that? Okay, please turn that off. Um, this, uh, 
Okay. Uh, let's get back to this. I, I don't want to be, I, don't, I, don't, I just don't want to be distracted from this. Okay. The earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. 1 Corinthians 4 or 5, I think, uh, talks about um, how there's a, a day when he's going to bring to light, that's what it says, bring to light what has been hidden in darkness. And he will expose the motives of men's hearts. So it's not just our actions, but he says he's not even going to show the motives of men's hearts. And that's why, even as I'm up here and I'm thinking about that, I'm going, Lord, do I have any other motive right now other than to bring you honor? Is there a motive where I want to be liked? Is there a motive where I I want to be popular? Is there a motive where I'm trying to draw attention to myself? Because when you come, everything's going to be exposed. When you return, everything that's going to be done is just going to be laid bare. And it's like, oh, he wasn't the real thing. Oh, he just thought Francis was this. But here's what his heart was really about. He showed up and he taught well in this, but, but here's what he really wanted done. And here's why he did this. Here's why he did that. And so that's why it's, it's very important that we not only just do the right things, but we look and examine our motives and go, okay, What's the real thing? Because I do believe he's going to return. I do think he's going to come back. And no, he hasn't come back yet, but he only does it this, this one time to come back and judge the world. Destroy it by fire. There's going to be a new heaven, a new earth, a new existence here. And at that moment, it's going to be too late. As I was praying about this and with the passage here ending on on uh, everything being exposed one day. I, I like this time of year. I mean, it's, it's psychological because every day is the same, you know. Is, is January 1st really going to be that different from today? It's just another day in a sense, unless the Lord returns, you know. But at the same time, there's something in my head that goes, I get a new start. <laughs> You know, and I don't know, I think it's just because we've done that for so many years and we have this time. That's why January 1st, you're going to see a bunch of people at the gym. (laughs) Right? Those of you who are members at a gym, you know the first week of the year, it's going to be packed. And the second week will be less and less. And by February, it's it's back to normal. (laughs) But next January, you know, it's, it's just there's something in our heads, right, about this. But I... I don't know. I just like new starts. I do. I love it. I love it because I can just just wash away everything I did. I just 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 the you know, it's just the clear all history button, you know, it's just it's done, it's it's gone. And okay, two thousand nine, I did what I did, I blew it, whatever, and two thousand and ten I wanna live a year where I'm expecting the return of Christ. I want to live in such a way that he can return any time in 2000. And not to, you know what I mean. I mean, we'll start today. Don't wait three days. But, but it's, just, it's just that whole thought of, let's just, let's just live that way. And I thought, wouldn't it be awesome if we just spent some time just clearing ourselves from the garbage of 2009? God tells us, you confess your sins He's faithful and just to forgive you of all of those sins, cleanse you of all that unrighteousness, all of it. Maybe 2009 was a year that you just wish you could live over. 
where you did some things that you swore you would never do and you didn't realize, you understood your depravity, but you didn't realize you were that depraved. I didn't think I could get that angry. I, I, I didn't know my anger would get the, I didn't know I was that lustful. I didn't know there was that much lust in my heart. I didn't know I was that weak. I didn't know I could stray that far. I thought, I don't know, I just didn't think 2009 would be like that. And maybe you even surprised yourself this last year in a few instances. And it's not because it's the beginning of the year, but you can have a brand new start today. And that can happen every Sunday. But I just think there's something special about this. This is the last time we'll gather this year together as a congregation. That'd be really cool to just let go of all that guilt and just leave it at the foot of the cross. To believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to change us for a different year this next year. I'm going to put one last verse on the screen. It's James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, I know that... um, Some of you that come from more of a Catholic background, when you think of confession, you think you go into a a little booth and you tell someone you don't really know what's going on in your life and he tells you what you need to do. And others of you that come from a more Protestant tradition, you just go, man, I don't need to confess to anyone. I just confess to God. Here's what the scriptures say. It says, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. It's this idea of prayer. It's this idea of when you confess your sins to someone and you have that person pray over you, there's, a real, there's something actually happens there. It's not just an emotional moment of, oh, I finally let it all out, give me a hug. But it's saying, no, 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 the prayer of that righteous person has great power as it is working. It was so cool last service, even just some people just saying, can you just pray over me? Because I, 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 just believing that there's power in that, that we're not here just as some self-help group where we just confess and feel better, but something supernatural happens because we don't believe this is just a natural world. But we believe there is a God, and there is something spiritual that happens. And so the way I'd like us to end our service is I want to give you some time to maybe reflect on some things you just want to release and get out of your life. And maybe you have already confessed it to God, but there is something so powerful about confessing your sins to someone else and having someone pray over you. And this is not commitment. I'm not saying, you know, we're making vows like, okay, yeah, you know what, God, I promise you I'll never do that again. Many of us have made that mistake making those types of promises that we can't keep. Ecclesiastes 5 says, don't go making vows before God. You don't have the power to keep those. So we're not talking about vow time or commitment time. We're talking about confession time, saying, God, I blew it, and now I'm having someone pray over me because I want power over that for this next year, and I want to live differently. That's what this is. Let's, Let's just be honest in this room and admit we need some help. And we don't want 2010 to be like 2009. 
and to believe in the power of prayer right now that something will actually happen. So I'm going to have the worship team come up and they'll just kind of play softly for a little while. And, and maybe it is good for you just right now to just think about things of this year. In fact, right now, let me have, a, can I have some of the leaders just come up and line the front of the room. Some of the pastors, elders, um, some of the godly women leaders in their communities. Just come up here just... Just, just so that if someone needs, maybe, maybe you came alone or there's no one you feel comfortable confessing your sins to next to you, maybe you just come up and have one of these guys or gals pray over you. So just during the worship time, I'll just leave them up here. And maybe, maybe even you want to say, you know what, I want to get baptized. I want to end 2009 and give my life to the Lord. And I'm, I'm going to live 2010 as a follower of Jesus Christ. And I want to join this family. Um, tell one of these guys and say you want to get baptized right after the, these, these songs and we'll baptize you too. But right now, just bow your heads. <laughs> just think about things that maybe the Lord is impressing on your heart to confess. Confess.